Happy Friday, everybody. How's it going? It's going well. Welcome, Natty. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, Natty, what's up? It's good to see you again. Um, uh, so people, uh, if people don't know who you are, do you want to give a quick intro? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I have a real name. It's John, um, but everybody calls me Natty. So uh, you should definitely feel free. Um, I lead solutions architecture for uh, one of the regions uh, over here at DBT Labs. Um, but I've been in the data space for a long time, um, have kind of been a serial startupper throughout my career. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I've, I happen to be really interested in, in kind of equity compensation stuff, which is kind of a function of the fact that I've always done startup stuff. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a fun ride kind of seeing the, the rise and fall of Hadoop and the rise of the modern data stack and cloud data warehouses and all of the, the stock stuff that comes with it. That's really interesting. I mean, what we met uh, several months ago, and I, and I was very intrigued because I thought that cause we were introduced to a mutual friend, and I thought we'd be talking about um, you know tech stuff, right? But then, it, then I realized you had a blog, and I looked at your blog, and I was like, this is very unusual. You have, um, actually, I'll share it for the uh, audience here, but um, your blog, it's all about uh, equity and startup stuff, and it's kind of interesting. So yeah, walk us through that. What's, uh, what's up with um, semi-structured? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, um, I think I've basically my, my sort of thesis has been that, um, there are a lot of people who, uh, for whom their, their compensation packages are really heavy on the equity side. Um, but I think a lot of these things, you know, a lot of how to think about that equity, how to like decide whether or not to exercise your stock is there's not a lot of education on it, right? A lot of companies don't provide that information um, because, you know, they, they don't want to be seen as financial advisors or giving financial advice, right? They can't. Um, and so a lot of this information is just kind of hard to, to find. Um, and I've never seen anything that was like super readable. So, you know, at some point I was just, you know, actually what happened was I had um, my first, uh, my first post was something that I'd written probably like months and months and months before and just hadn't gotten the, you know, the, the like courage to, to put it out in, in the world. And eventually I just said, screw it. Like, I'm going to go do it. And I put it up and it resonated. And so I've kind That's of cool. kept writing and just been talking about, you know, the, the things that I think people should know about, um, and what interests me. Yeah. And it, it's interesting to look at this space. I, I think notoriously, in the case of WeWork, there were allegations that maybe employees were a bit misled about um, equity, not just because of the issue of legal advice, but just to not really tell them how much they were getting compensated and how much they stood to lose if, you know, things kind of went down. So I don't think I, I, I think there are rather magnanimous startup founders who really do care about their employees and take care of them and who are careful to try to explain those things the best they can. But I think there are other shenanigans, too. What's your opinion on this? Yeah. Show? Yeah, totally. Uh, and I mean, yeah. you know, we're like, at the end of the day, like when you're recruiting someone, you have to sell them. And so, um, you know, there's, there's definitely, I think, a lot of um, sort of veiled information that gets shared out. I think, you know, every company is different, right? Like, I actually think DBT Labs is pretty good about being very open and honest. And we've got, you know, a strong culture of transparency. So I'm really happy with the kind of information that goes out to, to folks in, in my org. Um, but I've definitely seen companies where it's like, I have to like, um, you know, ask and ask and ask just to find out what the strike price is. Like they're really skittish about sharing that kind of information. And it's really, it's unfair to the employees, right? It's, it's something that they need to know to really adequately evaluate the, the worth of their, their stock and their compensation and think about critically, like, is this actually going to be worth what you're, you're telling me it's going to be worth? Or like, do I think you're, you're spewing a little bit of BS, right? Let's walk through this. So, I mean, what are some of the things that, um, you know, people should know when they join a startup with respect to equity? I think it's your point when you, when you started your blog, it's like, it's kind of a black box yeah. really. And there's not a lot out there. <laughs> so, um, I, I feel like the, the most important thing, uh, pro probably the most important thing I could say in a single sentence is like the number of options doesn't matter at all. Right. Like the thing that actually matters is percentage ownership and, um, you know, how, like what the value of that equity is today and, and what it could be down the road. Um, and so I think like there's, there's a bunch of like particular pieces of equity packages that are, that are often not like, um, uh, people don't necessarily know to ask for, like, 
what is the fair market value today? Which that, that's equivalent to the strike price. Those things end up being the same generally. Um, but uh, fair market values typically change when fundraising rounds happen. Um, and it really determines like the price for your shares when you go to exercise. Also, what was the preferred price in the latest round? That's what the investors are paying. So oftentimes the, the, the strike price is lower than the preferred price. And that's kind of that implicit value that, that people get when they, when they come on board. So like that, that those fundamentals, those are really the, the, the most important bits. And that's, you know, if you look in, in my, um, on my Substack, you'll you'll find the oldest posts are really that because I was like, this this is what everybody needs to know. So like, let me write this first. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Let me actually show that real quick here. Um, most yeah, that... most of the posts are decent, but you know, I, I think that <laughs> the earlier ones, like it, it kind of goes. You, there's there's sort of this like foundational like okay let me let me talk about that foundations of this stuff and you know as I got a bunch of those things off of my chest the the later stuff starts to to get into like you know nichier uh, topics in various cases but um, you know it's it's just like I try to I try to write um, approachable content um, and you know when possible I I try to like talk about it in, in terms of like how I think through these, these questions mm. just to, to make it a little bit relatable so people can, can pick it up and, and um, you know, uh, make their own decisions. Using well, that's that. the thing too. Like the VCs are doing this every day, right? I mean, this is, this is how they think this is what they do. I mean, I think when I got into studying venture, it was um, the best book I found. The first good book I found was venture deals by Brad mm. Feld. That was back at like 20, 10 or something like that i can't remember but anyway it was it was yeah. a while ago right and um and i think you know there, there were a few blogs at the time um fred wilson had some good stuff um uh this week in startups i think uh, jason calacanis's podcast was fantastic for somewhat mm -hmm. opening the veil on how vcs may operate but at the same time it was like finding um a lot of the, getting educated on how to think about startup equity because i was joining startups at the time too and i was like so yeah. how does this work and um it was it was mysterious. It, I guess it still is for a lot of people, which is because it's a lot of it's in finance speak, and you know, engineers and startup salespeople don't really speak that language or think that way. So it's hard. And and one thing that's really important to just call out here is that VCs think about you know equity a lot different than than employees right. should, right? Because like at the end of the day, the VCs are investing out of a fund, and that fund has you know dozens, hundreds of investments, probably in some of these larger funds, um, like. Uh, A16 raised uh, that $400 million seed fund, right? right. Seed checks are small. So $400 million bucks divided by, you know, uh, a $10 million, $20 million seed check, which is, you know, that it, they didn't used to be that large. They used to be a lot smaller. So like you're talking about like dozens and dozens to hundreds of, of investments. And so when they're evaluating an investment, they're they're really thinking about it a little bit differently than an employee who's you know investing the most valuable thing that they can invest, which is their own time and and energy into that company. And you know it's it's the difference between saying like I need one of these you know one hundred uh, uh, investments to to you know hit a home run versus like this is the one that that I need to hit right. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a much different equation. I think you know VCs are often thinking about like how do I get a three x return right and. Um, there's actually uh, there there is a blog post that I saw and I, I forget who wrote it. Um, it is a VC, which was actually one of the the best um, ways that I've seen to really think about a you know a a, a, a particular startup success. And it it uses this like um, weighted value outcomes approach um, where you know basically it's it's you know it is a statistical expected value equation, right? It's like um, you know, what is the likelihood that this company goes out of business and goes to zero? What is the likelihood that this company, you know, is successful, achieves a modicum of, of success? They, they go for, you know, a hundred million dollar, dollar exit, whatever. What is the, you know, likelihood that this company is going to be a category defining winner, right? And this is like a, a 10 plus X outcome. And so they actually think about it as like, what are the likelihood of each of those outcomes? And, you know, at what, what would they make? Um, you know, with a, a particular size investment in each of those outcomes, and then whatever the expected value of that is, that's how they're thinking about, you know, the, the potential value of this equity. But again, as an employee, 
I don't get all those shots on goal. So, you know, I'm looking for which one is going to give me, you know, which one has the highest likelihood of that home run. But like when I'm looking at an offer, I want to use that sort of approach to evaluate how valuable do I think this equity really is. Let me ask you another question here too. If you, so two, two different questions actually. So first of all, if I'm looking to join a startup, how should I evaluate that decision? Because like you said, it's a huge investment of time, like a lot of energy in my life. And then yeah. second, how should I evaluate if it's time to leave? Like what if, when do I say, hey, it's time to jump now? Because I don't think this is going to yeah. pay off and I'm just wasting my time. Uh, good warm-up yeah. questions, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're just going to dive right in. <laughs> Those are tough um, well, I mean, if, if, if it's DBT labs that you're evaluating the question, the answer is just yes. So okay. just join, we're um, going to join tomorrow, but, <laughs> but that aside, um, you know, like, uh, the, the leave question honestly is, is a lot harder. Um, you know, I've, uh, uh, like, I will admit that I, I left my last company after a year, which is, you know, not, not great, but like, um, you know, I, I was sort of at this, this place where, um, you know, I, I really wanted to, to go to DBT. And so I knew I was going to, going to make that move. Um, but I wasn't willing to leave before my one year cliff because I felt really strongly about that, you know, that company also being successful. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that I had that opportunity to, to exercise some of that stock and, and, um, walk away with, with something, um, you know, some investment to, to hold. Um, but I think, you know, it's uh, like, I don't know that I ever make decisions to leave a company based on compensation, right? Like I can, I can get, you know, good equity comp or good, good salary comp, um, you know, at, at a lot of different companies. Um, you know, I, I leave a company because I'm not growing. I'm not, you know, it, it's, it's the, the like um, intangibles, I think, um, you know, excitement levels, things like that. Um, certainly when I'm evaluating companies to go to, like, those are also big factors. Am I excited about this product? Am I excited about this team? Um, am I excited about the, the, uh, the space? Um, I've been in the data space for, um, gosh, it's been, I don't know, thir 13, 14, actually my, my 15 year college reunion is next year. So it's been like 15, almost 15 years since I've been in industry. Um, and I've, I've basically been in the data space for, for all of those 15 years, um, because it's what I'm really passionate about. Like, even though I have all these like, you know, interests in finance and probably I was an accountant in another life. Um, I, I just really, really love data. I really love, um, a lot of what comes with it. And so like, I'm always looking in, in that space. Um, and then oftentimes, you know, when I think about things that I'm excited about, um, I've always liked early stages. Um, so like from a, from a perspective of like, the stages I've worked at in my career, um, the, the, the kind of median has been like BC round. Um, that's been the most common point where I've joined a company. Um, but I've done pre-seed, um, yeah, seed pre-seed, uh, I've done, um, a, uh, I've done, um, you know, I've, I've been at companies at, at D and beyond. Um, but what I like is that, at the, the B and C round, the company is large enough. It's usually like with in the last couple of years, things have been a little bit crazy, but like over my career in general, B and C is sort of around 50 to 150 employees, um, you know, probably somewhere in the range of like uh, one to 10 million in, in ARR. Um, and it's early enough that, uh, uh, I can, I still feel like I can make a, a big impact. Um, but it's, it's far enough along that I feel like I can effectively evaluate like how real is, you know, their solution and how likely is it to be, um, kind of a, a standout success. So th that's sort of, that's a long winded way of describing some of the, the thought process for me. That's interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting too. So kind of, uh, I guess, good question, Matt segues us into, um, the topic of today, uh, the great startup downturn of 2022. So um, it seemed like we, you know, we started the year, things seemed, eh, you know, it is what it is. 2021, you know, in retrospect, was kind of a bonkers year. Um, that was just, in my opinion, it was sort of like the year that, um, like of anti-gravity, basically, like everything was just free floating and who knew which way it was up or down. But 
Um, this year's different. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what's happening in the startup ecosystem right now? I feel like the uh, the the uh, term of art these days is just multiple contraction. I feel like mm -hmm. everywhere, you know, it's just uh, VCs and finance people talking about multiple contraction. Um, uh, uh, Jamin Ball uh, from Altimeter writes a, an absolutely fantastic uh, Substack called uh, Clouded Judgment, where he talks about a lot of these dynamics in the SaaS marketplace. Um, and uh, some of it goes over my head, but I, I try to read it to, to educate myself. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting, like uh, late last year, uh, Tomas from Redpoint was talking about, you know, the 100x forward ARR multiple being like the, the standard way that companies were being valued, which is like, a really, really like that is a big multiple. Um, and uh, uh, maybe to, to back up in case folks aren't familiar with like some of these terms, like when yeah, I talk let's about go over multiple, these terms. Yep. I'm talking about like um, a, a fairly common way that that you know you do a kind of a crude valuation of a company is you look at either their tra trailing 12 months earnings or their their you know uh, forecasted next 12 months earnings, and then you apply a multiplier. You say you know if you're going to make um, you know, $10 million this year, and I'm going to apply a 10x or a 20x multiplier, then you should be worth, um, you know, $200 million, right? Like that's that that would be that 20x multiple. And, um, you know, like, I think, historically, folks had had valued more on like, what you'd achieved. And, you know, in in 2021, People were like, well, you know, the 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 price, like, there's so much free flowing money around. There, you know, interest rates are so slow, so low, and we've got so much, um, you know, so many funds to deploy. People were like, well, you know, price competition got got heavy, and and they started shifting towards looking at like, what are you expecting to do? Which is like dangerous because you might not achieve that, right? You might overpay for something that doesn't actually live up to your potential. But that's kind of the risk that you had to take in, you know the the kind of late 2020 or you know 2021 market yeah. um and now with inflation kind of going haywire um with the the fed uh jacking up rates and i was just i've been watching this because they've they've been talking about um they've been kind of indicating that in the july fed meeting they might raise um the the rates another 75 basis points uh and like personally I, i've got a bunch of uh, CDs that have come due, and I'm I'm like waiting till they raise rates again to go and and redeploy my emergency fund. Um, for for the audience that that has uh, only lived in low interest rate environments, what is a CD? A certificate of deposit, <laughs> just like you know, uh, like this is where I'm, I keep my emergency fund. It's just like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, savings savings accounts have like interest rates, and that that back know, in the day you could get paid by putting your money in a bank. It's a weird concept, um, <laughs> but. Trust us, it used to happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now we just get put paid, it in there for who knows the, why. <laughs> yeah. Get paid for the deposits that uh, yeah. the bank lends out. Um, but yeah. So, like, I mean, with, with interest rates going up, right, uh, it, it creates an environment where it costs more to borrow money, which means, you know, the cost of money to invest gets higher, right? There's, there's fewer LPs that want to, want to, you know, invest that capital or they want to be more judicious because, you know, it's not like they're just going to be able to go back to the well again and again and again, as it's been for kind of the last 10 years. Um, and so people are looking harder at their investments, which is, you know, causing uh, the markets to become shrewder, to take money out of like the really speculative bets and just pile it into, you know, safety, low risk type of things. Well, sure. And I remember um, it was an all-in podcast a couple months ago, but Shamath uh, had an interesting tidbit where he said it was like for every 100 basis point increase in um, rates, it was like you could basically shave off 15 to 20%, um, you know, off evaluation, just mark it down. There you go. So, I mean, you don't need to do the math that hard to figure out like, um, you know, 100, 200, 300 basis point jump in rates, uh, whether it does evaluations. If you raise the top, it's going to be kind of hard. We'll get to, in a second to down rounds because you wrote an awesome article on this, but sobering. So, yeah, and you know, it's it's. Uh, I think the the investment markets are are going to be tough. Like, I've I've talked to organizations that were going to raise money and just decided, you know, now is not the right time. Like, 
there's a lot of organizations that are just kind of hunkering down, extending runways. Um, and that's why we're seeing a lot of these, these layoffs happen because like, oh, it turns out when you turn off the spigot of like cheap capital, suddenly we have to, you know, everybody starts looking at like unit economics and um, we have to get a lot more uh, uh, just uh, uh, focused on, on making sure that we're building profitable, sustainable businesses instead of just like spending funny money. It's a truly radical concept. I think we've all forgotten that the last <laughs> decade. I mean, what happened though? I mean, because we've, we've seen this before, right? I mean, the dot-com bubble, you had this, um, you know, other periods of speculative excess. And it's like, mm -hmm. when, when the money's free-flowing, what, what is it that prompts, I would say, both investors and entrepreneurs to sort of forego what we would normally consider basics, like running a business, unit economics, uh, revenue, profit, things like that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I can I can opine and and yeah, opine like, away, please. Like, I I have never been a CEO of a company. I have also never been a VC. So like anything I say is like you know sort of speculative in and of itself. Um, I just think a lot about you know some of these dynamics, but like I think part of it is just you know it it's uh, it's harder to be to take a long termist view than it is to you know just think about like what's tactically right in front of you today. And so sometimes, you know, it's just easier to think about the here and the now. Um, and if the here and the now, you know, demand spending um, and, you know, you perceive that it, it's easy to get capital, right? Like six months ago, or maybe not six months ago, but like 12 months ago, certainly, um, you know, rounds were just being uh, uh, preempted, right? VCs were coming back and they were like, I have more money for you. Like take more money, more of my money, right? They just wanted to deploy more, 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 more. And so like, you, you know, unless you are like a really laser focused CEO, that probably has a psychological impact where it's like, I've got tons of money. Like I, money is easy to get. Um, and that's, you know, why I think you see like the Sequoias of the world who put out these, these like, um, you know, doomsayer uh, types of, of um, memos where they're like, hey, everybody, party's over, like, let's get back to, to basics. And, you know, sm smart, forward-thinking CEOs, you know, are, are probably already thinking about that and are, are setting themselves up for a, a, a good thing or, a, a, you know, a good ride. But, like, you know, it, it's also that... Um, you know, the, the investors will also value things differently, like growth at all costs versus, um, you know, profitable unit economics. Like if, if you're getting penalized for being profitable and not growing fast enough, then people are going to go try to spend more money to grow faster. Right. And if you're penalized for growing at all costs, but you're being, you know, rewarded for having profitable unit economics, people are going to go do that. And so, you know, I think there's just a pendulum shift to like, what are people being penalized for and what are people being rewarded for? And that, you know, creates this dynamic where you see these, you know, shifts in, in just how people spend money. Yeah, it was interesting. We were actually talking to a, um, you know, a colleague in a private equity today and we were kind of asking him, so with, um, with with the the cloud and and um, economics in the PE world, like does it make any sense for us to try and you know uh, help companies you know save money over the long term? You know, maybe they have on prem, for example. Uh, maybe that makes their EBITDA number look better because they have um, you know um, you know capex instead of opex. And the interesting thing was, well, I mean, our, our incentive is that we really just want to sell the company at the end of the day. <laughs> it's not really our problem if it like you know, as a, as a, as a viable long-term company, like that we, we need to make money for our investors and that's kind yeah. of how that is. And so you're right. It's like incentives and outcomes, right? It's usually what it boils down to. Um, I'm any thoughts on this, Matt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. And there's this other, um, in PE, you have this incentive with uh, interest deductions, right? Interest tax deductions, which many people have pointed out where PEs will sometimes use a company as a vehicle just to borrow tons and tons of money just so they can get that interest tax, tax deduction mm -hmm. and take the money and put it somewhere else, which is not an issue you have in startups. It's a very different set of uh, set of incentives, but it can be a very positive thing or sometimes it can have some deleterious effects on the company just like you were saying Eddie. So, yeah yeah that's interesting I, I will i will admit i am way less educated on on like pe dynamics yeah. um it's like pe and vc are like very different worlds very very yeah. different worlds yeah yeah uh, uh it's super both super interesting they both yeah. are yeah that, that's interesting too i mean so you know to, to maybe just show this article this is what i uh 
pinged you about. And I was like, yeah, we got to talk about this. This is, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, but you wrote you, you, your recent article, um, uh, how, how I'm thinking about down rounds in equity during a downturn by Natty. Um, so yeah, zoom in on this a bit, but yeah, walk me through this. Like what, you know, give us just the article. What, what do people need to know about down rounds in equity during a downturn? I think this is top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the thing people know need to know about down rounds first is they're going to happen. Um, what's, a down, already, what's a down round? Yeah, uh, so um, when a company raises funding, uh, you know, at some point, basically a, a, an investor is coming and purchasing stock from that company. And there is a price per share for that stock. And um, when an investor pays uh, more for the stock than the last time an investor bought stock from the company, that's an up round, right? That's, that's what most people just talk about as fundraising because, you know, um, in general, these will generally go up. Like nobody wants to raise at a lower valuation than they, they previously had. Um, so they're always trying to have, you know, valuation step ups. A down round is the opposite. It's where you raise more money, but it turns out investors don't want to pay the price that, um, that, you know, your stock used to cost. And so, you know, they pay a lower price. You see the same same thing in the regular stock market, right? There's all this jitter on a stock market thing. And, you know, theoretically, like anytime you're seeing um, the price go down, it's because someone is saying like that price that you've got for that stock, I'm not willing to pay for it uh, at that price. I'll pay it a lower price. And someone either, you know, on the supply side says, yes, I will, I will sell it to you at that price, right? It's all supply and demand. Um, in the private markets, these things just move much slower, right? You have step functions, not not like you know continuous um, continuous graphs, and so um, it's unusual to see down rounds because it it's it's not a good thing. It, it's not a good look, right? The optics of a down round are bad, right? Oh, your stock price is going down, like you know uh, all of your employees are not making money; they're losing money, right, on their stock, um, and investors are losing money, and investors, you know the like venture capitalists, the way they stay in business is by making money, not losing money. So, um, so everybody wants to go up, but, um, you know, like now we're getting to a point where I think investors are sobering and they're starting to say, Oh, we need to look for profitable unit economics. And so when companies need more money, um, they're going back and, and, you know, the investment committees are starting to say, yeah, we're not going to pay that previous price. We're going to offer a lower price. And, it is then up to the company to decide, yes, I am willing to sell at that price um, or no, I am not. I'm going to continue to, to kind of stay the toe, toe the, uh, the line and they have that option, right? They can, they can choose to continue extending your runway. Um, but the, the tenor of this article is really kind of accepting that down rounds are going to be a thing. Um, and just thinking about like, what does a down round mean for you in terms of exercising your options, um, in terms of deciding whether to exercise and not when to exercise? Um, you know, this is, it's, it's sort of funny. Like I was writing an article, uh, one of the, the articles I wrote a little while back in 2021 was about how, um, the current markets are actually really, really dangerous for employees mm -hmm. because valuations are going up so fast, so frequently. Right. Um, uh, there were companies raising, uh, like I, if you look in the article, I've got a bunch of examples of companies that raised like, you know, every six months they were having like a two to four X step up. Um, which means like, if you have a standard four year, uh, vest, then you've got a one year vesting cliff. And so by the time you start a year later, there's been, you know, one to two rounds of funding that have happened since you started. And, you know, now the, 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 um, fair market value of, the stock is, is much higher than, you know, when you started. And so like, you know, it, it, there's tax implications and it effectively becomes really expensive for employees to actually exercise their, their options and own their company's stock. Um, but I'd say here, you know, down rounds can be bad, but the nice thing, the, the thing to really remember, and I, I like this, this graphic I put together because I wanted to, to kind of show like, it's not always a disaster, right? Like on the left-hand side, you're seeing a situation where, um, you know, if you, if you started at a point where the, the value of your stock, or your strike price was low enough that, um, you know, if there's a down round, you're, you're not necessarily underwater, right? Like you're not necessarily losing money on your stock. Um, 
but you know there there are situations where you know if the the preferred price that investors are paying after um after a new investment is lower than your strike price that's like not a great sign <laughs> no that sucks <laughs> Well, didn't didn't Facebook famously have a down round? Am I remembering this correctly? I think that's an example people cite sometimes of them having a down round. It's certainly possible. I mean, mm. you know, it, it, it's certain. It it's not it's not like so uncommon that you can't find examples at at major organizations. It's just like, um, you know, especially in the last ten years since since kind of the the great financial crisis, we've been in this very sustained bull market where we haven't really had to face that. Like I was definitely the last time I really felt like, Oh my God, like we might have a down round. Although I didn't really know what I was doing at the time um, was my first job out of college. I was working for Vertica um, and I, I left, I graduated college in 2008. So like right before all hell break loose, broke loose. And um, you know, I just remember like, you know, sitting there and thinking like, Oh my God, am I going to get laid off? Is this company going to go under? Like I had no idea what was going on. And, um, I don't think we took it down round, but it was definitely something that I think was was a concern. Yeah, for sure. I kind of want to uh, talk about this too. This came out from CB Insights today, uh, State of Venture. So it's just as a summary. You can subscribe to um, CB Insights if you want. But what, what's interesting is quarter over quarter, um, you know, venture funding dropped twenty three percent, right? Mm -hmm. So, but but you know, that sounds drastic until you when you kind of zoom out and say, oh well, still better than it was in twenty twenty when. Things are sort of going crazy and stuff, but the thing is, funds are still raising like right. crazy amounts of money. Insight, Insight Partners just announced they were raising another uh, twenty billion. I think uh, they they announced. Um, and this just this news just came out yesterday, and so <laughs> it's like there's still a lot of money out there. Um, but like what I see in this is again, um, you know, the, the 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 interest rates are rising. People aren't quite sure when inflation is going to be tamed, and so everybody is kind of like risk off. Yep. Um, and so you see deals going down because nobody's, you know, there, there are fewer of these speculative investments being made, but there's still money to invest. And so I think you'll, you know, we'll see this flight to safety where like the, the really, really successful companies continue to have, you know, they probably don't get the crazy valuations, but they have easy money. Right. Yeah. Um, What's also interesting too, is, I mean, okay. So new unicorns, 85 minted in uh, Q2, right. Um, Geez, uh, get some perspective here. If you go back, um, you know, uh, it's still more than you were doing in 2018, 19, 20. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is when um, basically zero interest rates hit and bam, but, you know, because of the pandemic yeah, and a bunch of money floating into the system. So, I mean, I think it, this more shows like, I think you're just going to probably reset back to probably more sane times and like it's, the sky is falling. This is... Um, you know, I read an interesting article too in the the Wall Street Journal the other day where they said, you know, if we're in a recession, this is definitely a weird recession because like the normal metrics of, um, let me see, uh, job losses and stuff that doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, unemployment is like at historic lows, right? And you got the jobs report today, and it was like, yeah, okay, um, I guess there's a problem, maybe. Mm -hmm. So probably not, but you just don't have enough people to do jobs. I think is more of the problem right now. So if this is a recession, I'm cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, love it. <laughs> so, well, it's interesting too because if I'm an investor or an employee of a startup, I, I feel like you have to break the question of a down round into two parts. And so, I have to ask myself, okay, how much of that down round is reflecting changes in the economy, maybe a bubble kind of deflating, versus how much of that down round reflects actual problems with the company itself, or maybe they really aren't going to perform well in the future. Now, you can't completely unknot those two, right? Because yeah. Definitely a bad economy can kill a company, but, but there's still, you probably have a sense of some of the intrinsic stuff going on and whether this uh, company has a chance to be a category killer, even though the economy is yeah. temporarily dropping. Yeah. And I mean, like, um, you know, I can only, I can only speak from my own personal experience, but like what I can tell you I'm seeing at, at DBT is like, we're firing on all cylinders, right? Like companies are still buying our software and, you know, we are still, succeeding by by every metric i i can you know look at um and so uh i i agree it's it's kind of a weird um a weird environment and um you know like it's it's 
even more interesting comparing this to kind of the last time I I saw kind of a major downturn. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was at uh, at Heap Analytics and. Um, you know, we sold to a lot of SMBs and kind of mid-market companies, and it was just like cash flow crises from our customers left <clears> and right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, invoices were were not being paid, like um, just like scary, scary stuff. Um, and, you know, I think it's like it's interesting seeing it now, like, you know, we're definitely seeing um, some of our customers in the news laying people off or, or um, you know, uh, uh, taking down rounds. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've got a really strong uh, uh, sales motion up market as well. Um, like DBT is being widely, widely adopted in the enterprise as well, where, yeah. you know, they're a bit more recession resistant. And I think like this sort of, you know, for for companies like I in in a down market, I really look for who who has strong enterprise traction. Right. Because um, enterprises, they they they'll shut down projects, they'll slow um they'll slow spending but like they don't go out of business in general right like you know outside of like the lehman brothers sorts of situations um the you know fortune 500s don't just like shut down overnight and have cash flow crises where they can't pay their um you know pay out their accounts payable right yeah that's interesting you know we remember the uh covid uh outbreak too, the pandemic and matt and i were um you know, things are going good. And all of a sudden it's like the floor just dropped out from our customers. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, sky's falling. Mm-hmm. And, and understandably so, right? It's like, yeah. you know, if you look at any any graph of what happened during the pandemic economically, it's like just a, a vertical line. I remember seeing like the yeah. unemployment. I remember actually the, the, the you know, a couple of weeks after the pandemic looking at uh, the unemployment and it was like, it was so, the, the graph was so deep. It almost looked like the X axis, except it was the Y <laughs> Axis had dropped so far that I think they had to like make a different. They had to adjust their their uh, boundaries on the graph. It was just yeah. so unprecedented. You never saw that much like month over month drop ever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then things rebounded like like within cool. days. Within it, it days, like, right? I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but it, it felt like the drop bottom dropped out, and then like maybe a week or two later, like oh wait, come back, come help us. We oh yeah, we're, we're selling more than ever. We need all your <laughs> yeah. help, and you know so. You know, I mean, it, in, it depended what industry you were in, right? Like, it, yeah, yeah, if you were in restaurants or something, yeah, yeah. You, you were like, yeah. Yeah. and I mean, this is this is like that K-shaped recovery they talked about, yeah, right? It was like, K-shaped, yeah. You know, in 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 the tech world, like you didn't really feel it, like no. you know, living living in an organization that's selling data products, like it it felt kind of like a. I mean, it was a weird time for other reasons, but like it didn't it didn't feel like it was particularly disruptive to 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 business. No, whereas I know people who owned restaurants, you know, and gyms. Yeah. And, you know, I know one guy who owns, you know, a lot of restaurants in, in you know, the city I'm in. And, like, he said, like, you know, half, half the restaurants went out of business, mm-hmm. yep. you know, and it, it was, it was, just, it was bad. And then gyms were the same way. I know, I know, you know, a friend who owns, a, you know, a lot of gyms and that was the same sort of thing. It's like he had to do everything in his power to mm-hmm. keep things going. And I felt terrible because that, that week that the pandemic, the national emergency, he was supposed to open, you know, this brand new multi million dollar gym. And then oh, that, wow that had to be halted that mm-hmm. sucks yep so we're lucky in tech but you know nowadays it, the, the story is different now tech's getting affected right and yeah. it's like in, the, in these industries that we're having trouble finding you know staying in business like they're doing great and can't find employees anymore and mm-hmm. you know so it's everything is a pendulum like you say so yeah and it, it's funny how often we ignore these pendulums right once the pendulum is swinging up like the founders the engineers are like we're geniuses this is amazing we're all making so much money off of the pandemic but then as soon as like the that started to reverse like oh hey people don't have as much time to watch netflix they're canceling their subscriptions yeah. it was just like total panic like oh my mm-hmm. god what's happening easy to make money in a bull market well, everyone yeah. looks smart in a bull market, right? <laughs> I, I like the downturns for this reason because it's it actually forces you to um, have to operate like a normal business. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you have a, a giant cash infusion, it's just like taking steroids. Like it'll yeah. do, it'll make you look cool. Or synthol is more what I consider it to be. Not even like steroids, it's just like yeah. your, you know, fake muscles. But your muscles collapse or something, tear your bicep. What I, yeah, mm-hmm. what I what I do think is interesting, um, and what I'm. I've kind of been waiting to see, and I, I don't, I don't think it's started yet, but I, I think it will is, um, you know, you, you, you showed that chart of kind of like the deals going down, but I, I think there's going to be, you know, probably a lot of M&A happening over oh, the yeah. next year, you know, like uh, certainly any 
kind of late stage company that's got its coffers full and feels confident enough that, you know, they're going to be able to weather the storm. Like this is a great time to go shopping for, for cheap acquisitions. Oh, yeah. and so I, I do expect to see a whole bunch of that. Um, and like, that's where kind of like the PE stuff starts getting interesting. Cause like that's their bread and butter, right. Is, is buying companies, you know, coming in, making them efficient and then, you know, selling them off or, you know, integrating them into other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and there's some great ones too. Like Toma Bravo, I think is like the epitome of a great, um, you know, tech oriented M&A company or PE company. They just, yeah, them and them in like Vista, mm-hmm. uh, does a ton of it. And I think insight actually does a whole bunch of like, I don't know if Insight does acquisition, but interesting. Um, I mean, they do a lot of like PE stuff. Interesting. So, if you're a, an employee at a startup, like what what do you do these days? Uh, stay the course. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, like I'm so uh, you know, I, I I sort of shared in in um, the blog post what what or the the newsletter what I'm doing, but um, I again still feel really strongly that like when I think about those weighted value outcomes that I talked about, like DBT for me is, you know, category defining technology, right? That's, that's where I believe we sit. Um, and I've got a whole, there's a whole other post called, uh, you know, my, my career investment thesis in DBT, which mm. explains like, Oh why yeah. That's I think that. Um, and for anybody in the data ecosystem, I think it's, it, you know, hopefully it's an interesting read. Um, but uh, uh, because I think that, you know, there is a high likelihood that we come out the other side stronger than ever. Um, I'm, I'm certainly exercising my equity, right? Um, but what I am doing is being a little bit more cautious. Like I don't foresee us raising anytime soon because we just raised, we raised back in January or whatever. And um, it was a, a pretty 220 million, I think was how much we raised, but we've got a, we've got a whole bunch of money in the bank. Um, and so w- we don't need to raise anytime soon. So I don't feel pressured to go exercise rapidly. So I'm basically, you know, getting myself to a point where I'm like, I don't want to hit AMT. Um, AMT is like a, a pain in the butt. What, what does that stand for? Uh, alternative minimum tax. This is, um, uh, this is like the one part of the, the tax code that I, I sort of like, uh, I've never, I've never spent enough time to like educate myself really well on it, but basically it's like a flat tax. Um, it was originally designed to be this like, you know, rich people tax, right? Like if you made above a certain amount of money, they were like, no, like you don't get to, to take deductions or whatever. We're just giving you a flat tax. Like you just pay that on all of your income. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's kind of a, a, a weird thing. Cause like most people never hit it. They never experience it in, in, you know, their, um, their normal course of life. But when you exercise, um, incentive stock options, ISOs, um, the, the IRS looks at the difference between the current fair market value and your strike price. And they're like, Oh, you just made a whole bunch of money. So like, if you have, um, a, uh, uh, if you've got a $10, um, fair market value and a $1 strike price, you exercise that you pay a dollar to exercise that, that option and purchase a a share for a dollar. And the IRS is like, Oh, you just made nine bucks. And you're like, well, it's a private company. Like I can't sell it. IRS doesn't care. They're like, no, nah, you made nine bucks. Like you're on the hook for that. But for incentive stock options, it's a special type of, of stock option where they don't, they don't charge you that income tax right off the bat. What happens is you're, you, it, it counts towards AMT. And so basically when you file your taxes, um, you're like, if you go through an accountant, they, they calculate both or like you, you file through TurboTax, it, it calculates your normal income and your AMT alongside it. But if your normal income tax burden is greater than AMT, you don't pay any AMT. But if the AMT is greater, you pay that. And so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when people go to exercise stock, it sometimes catches them by surprise, especially if they work at a company where that stock is highly appreciated, um, because suddenly they're paying tens of thousands of dollars in taxes on income that they actually can't put in their pockets. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like big pain in the butt. Um, And so where, where I'm sitting, I'm like, well, because I don't, you know, I don't expect the, the fair market value to go up a ton anytime soon. I'm like, okay, I can slowly exercise this. I'm definitely going to exercise it because I want to have long-term capital gains by the time, you know, I get to sell it. Um, but I don't want to hit AMT along the way. And so that's, that's kind of how I'm treating it. Um, but like, if you go through a down round, like that fair market value goes down. So your AMT exposure goes down. So, you know, it's actually, 
like the best thing you can do in a down market with with equity is wait and just like don't do anything just wait and see what happens so what about um if your uh startup offers you a loan to buy stocks right now oh uh <laughs> oh it's a visceral this is, yeah, uh the, do you want a bucket for uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh there was um there's an article in wired uh from a little while back bolt did this and mm-hmm. um there was there were a bunch of people who basically got laid off and suddenly were on the hook for these huge loans because they'd taken money out to to you know, purchase to, to exercise their options and, you know, the market's private. So like they can't, they can't just sell their stock and, um, and, uh, uh, you know, pay, pay it back. And so they're like, you know, uh, am I allowed to, to use profanity on this thing? Oh yeah, you are. You're up shit Creek, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, you know, it's, it's like, it's a bad situation. Um, there are, there are a lot of interesting ways that people, um, you know, pay for, for stock. Um, like there's a lot, you know, the, the standard way is you go to your company or like, if you use Carta, you go to Carta, you say, I want to exercise. And then, you know, you give them your bank details and it's just like an ACH withdrawal. Like you, you get your stock, right. Um, loans are, are definitely one of the more, uh, exotic ways that you can exercise stock. And I would never, ever, ever, ever suggest to someone that they should borrow money to exercise private stock options. It is a bad idea don't don't purchase options with money that you can't afford to lose um uh but there's there's some other interesting things like you see like equity b and um i'm not exactly sure what secfi does but there's a whole bunch of these other companies out there um that uh uh uh, will either like offer things like forward contracts um forward contracts are kind of an interesting thing which i've i've never actually written about um partially because i've never yeah, I've never done it, and so I don't know all the mm. specific the specific mechanics of it. Like, I know how they work. Basically, like a forward contract is, you know, you sign a contract with someone that says, um, you know, I'm your like if I'm if I'm the seller of the stock, I am selling my stock to someone else at X price, but I'm not actually selling it right now uh, because I I can't sell it. There's no market for it. So the contract basically says when you're able to sell it. Um, you know, you will, you will give us the, 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 the proceeds and, you know, we'll give you this money now, basically. So like, they're paying you money now for, you know, like contractual ownership of stock that you technically still own according to the IRS. So it's like a way to get around, um, you know, well, I don't know if the IRS considers it like constructive sale, but, um, you know, like it, it definitely helps with, with taxes and, um, it definitely helps with, uh, just like lack of liquidity, right? Like private markets. Some companies don't allow secondary sales. They don't allow mm-hmm. employees to sell stocks. Some companies do, but it can be a really long drawn out process. Um, so like you see those sorts of things. And then um, cashless exercise is something that I'm hoping more more companies will, will get into where you basically trade out some of your options to purchase others. Um, and so like you can, you can structure that in a way where I think, you know, you could theoretically cover taxes, but, um, you basically sell the, sell the stock back to the company in exchange for purchasing the stock, you know, cash for year or something along those lines. Um, that's a, that's a pretty cool, uh, uh, maneuver that I, I haven't seen often. The only time I've really seen it is in tender offers. Um, but anyway, interesting, but for companies that are, that are, I guess going to, um, get acquired or something happens to them, some sort of liquidity event. Um, I mean, what should uh, people know about liquidation preferences? Ooh, uh, good question. Um, so uh, liquidation preferences are, um, so there's there's like uh, different levels of stock. Um, investors are typically buying preferred stock. Employees, when they get ISOs or NSOs or, you know, stock options, when they exercise those options, they are receiving common stock. Um, and sometimes you also see different classes of common stock, like uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Meta very famously had, you know, class B and class A, and Zuckerberg owned all the class A stock, and class A stock had voting rights, class B stock didn't. So basically, like, Zuckerberg controlled everything. For life. Um, yeah, for for life. Benevolent, benevolent <laughs> dictator for life. Um so, uh, 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 you know, in the case of, of um, investments, 
uh, preferred stock is typically considered senior to um, common stock, which means like investors get paid first. And um, it, when fundraising rounds happen, there is usually some sort of liquidation preference. Um, if the term sheets are really clean, if it's if it's a good deal for the company, it's just going to be one X, right? Like they're going to get paid back their money. Um, and then that's, you know, everybody else gets gets paid after that. But sometimes you'll have situations where they have 2x or 3x liquidation preferences um, or liquidation rights. And so they actually get paid two times their investment or three times their investment before the employees ever get a cent. Um, and so, you know, th this gets into, a, this starts to get a little bit wacky once you start talking about um, the actual mechanics of, of um, acquisitions, because there's, there's also this concept of like participating versus non-participating stock. Um, and so, you know, when an acquisition happens, um, uh, I think, I think the way this typically works, and th this might have me a little out over my skis. So if either of you know this more, like you can correct me if I say something wrong. Um, but like, generally my understanding is that, uh, you know, investors sort of have the option of saying, you know, I want to participate in this acquisition and I just get paid, you know, the same price according to normal, like I just get paid out along with everybody else, you know, because it's a really good acquisition. Like we all made tons of money. We're happy. Um, and usually where the liquidation preferences become a problem is if the company, um, you know, like there's not enough money to pay out the investors according to their liquidation preferences. In those cases, they wouldn't participate in, in the normal, um, you know, uh, payout. And they would say, no, 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 I want to get paid my three X lick preferences before anybody else gets money. And so that actually reduces the overall um, effective price per share for everybody else that is participating. Um, and so it, it, it can get messy. Like, what happens in an acquisition can be like really, really contrived. Oh, it can be. And I, I've actually seen that happen, which is why I brought it up. It was just, it, yeah. was, it screwed the employees. Super um, gnarly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ugh, it sucks. It really does. Cause I mean, it, cause it, you, you, from the perspective of an employee, you're taking a bet on this company, right? And it's mm -hmm. like putting in my you know, time and opportunity cost in this thing. And yeah. not only did I not get anything, but you know, felt like I got swindled in the process. Yeah. But that's, that's, yeah. them's the breaks. And this, and you this goes watch back that. to yeah. like that. One of the things I said really early on is like, you know, sometimes companies are really sketchy and, and like shady yeah. and, and not willing. There's like very skittish about sharing this kind of information. Now, I don't think like, you know, if, if you're a, a run of the mill, like I, you know, individual contributor employee, it's going to be pretty hard for you to go to a company and be like, tell me, like, do any of your investors have like, you know, preferable liquidation preferences? Like you're probably not going to be able to get that answer easily. Um, but again, I think that, you know, this comes back to like looking for companies that are are getting like, you know, good terms, like the better the terms they're getting, the less likely you're going to see weird, you know, right. uh, unusual stuff like this. And so like, you know, kind of historically, like an easy way to look for like, is this company probably getting good terms is like, how much dilution are they taking in a round? Yeah. Um, and the easy way to calculate that is how much money did they raise? And what was the post money valuation? So when someone says they raised, you know, $100 million at a $1 billion valuation, what they're effectively saying is we sold 10% of the company um, for, you know, uh, at, at this valuation. Um, and so, you know, when you start to see things like 30, 40% dilution in a round, like that's where I would start to raise my eyebrows. And like, if someone is saying, you know, raising, I mean, usually if they're raising at those types of terms, they're not going to say how much they, what the valuation was because it doesn't look good. Right. If they, if they raised a hundred million bucks and the company is worth 200 million after that round, like that's not great. Yeah. Um, and that's where I would start to see, like, I would start to expect to see some of these kind of weirder, you know, less clean terms on a term sheet. Yeah, because at that point, the investors are basically like preferred stock is is almost like a form of debt. And so they're basically loaning you money saying, here's some money, maybe you can keep going. But if not, we might be liquidating in a year, and then we get paid back first. Everyone else is good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I would if I would think of it as debt, but it's definitely like, yeah. you know, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with with you know the the what you're saying in in, uh, in principle. So, and what 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 are your thoughts? You know, um, I, I guess you know over the next year or two, um, you know, rates kind of rise, inflation gets back to whatever normal happens to be in this weird 2020s. Um, 
I mean, what, what, do, what do you think happens to startups? So do you think we're going to kind of see the, um, the pandemonium we've had over the couple last couple of years where, you know, everyone's doing a startup or, you know, or do you think things are going to be a bit more sane and people are going to kind of grow a bit more slowly? Uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on kind of yeah. zooming out? I mean, the sky doesn't seem to be falling right now. Um, you know, things, things could change, right? Like, um, there's, there's not only like inflation and, and those sorts of macro climate macro issues, but like the Ukraine war is still going on. Um, and that's still, you know, going to have impacts on <clears throat> supply oh, yeah. chains and, and, uh, you know, food shortages and things like that. And, um, you know, there's, there's just all sorts of stuff that could like still create dynamics where, <clears throat> sorry, all hell breaks loose. But, you know, from, from my vantage point, it sort of feels like, um, you know, it's just, it's just going to be, this is going to be not a short thing. We're, we're not going to see like a, a pandemic type of recovery where things go down and then shoot back up. Like this is going to be much more like low and slow. Um, and I think, you know, we'll see, uh, I think things are going to start feeling a little bit more dire in like 12 months. Um, because that's when a lot of companies that just raised are going to start needing money again. Yeah or they're going to need to go looking for funding. Um, and so like right now things are just quieting down because everybody who doesn't need money is just like, well, I'm not going to raise right now. I'm just going to like extend my runway and keep going. Um, but eventually companies are going to get desperate. Um, and the companies that, that aren't, you know, improving their unit economics and, and improving their, their kind of um, situation. Those are the ones that are going to get penalized really hard. Those are the ones who, you know, are going to be laying people off in droves. Those are the ones who are going to be um, raising pretty, you know, stunning down rounds. Um, and uh, <clears throat> those are the companies that will be getting acquired, you know, for pennies on the dollar, right? Like that's, that's what I expect to see. Um, but I think, I think that there's also going to be winners, right? There's going to be winners and losers. Yep. Um, so like, you know, DBT is one of them for sure. Yeah. I, I think I, you know, I, I say it both in part because I am a hiring manager and everybody should join uh, DBT, but also because I truly believe it. Like there's yep. a, there's a reason I'm here and, you know, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I work places because I think that, uh, uh, it's going to be good career growth for me, but also because there's going to be a financial payout for me at the end too. Yeah, you guys are killing it. Seriously. So fingers crossed it's going well for now. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, cool. Coming up with time. Um, thanks for being on the show. Uh, yeah. great chat for people who want to learn more about you. Um, how would they do that? Uh, you can, you should go to my Substack. It's semi-structured.substack.com. Um, that's where I write about stuff. Sometimes I write about data things, but, um, I, I'm, I feel more self-conscious when I put those things out there. Um, uh, I'm also, if you go to the DBT Slack, you can find me. I'm at Natty, uh, or Twitter at Natty Ice. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, <laughs> I've, that's amazing. I've had it, I've had it for a while. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Man. Has yeah. Natty Ice tried to sue you to get their uh, no, Twitter handle back? No, no, nobody's ever. I get, I get weird ats sometimes. Like sometimes right. I get weird mentions. Um, but uh, can't uh, imagine why. Yeah, <laughs> a lot uh, of mentions from like UC Santa Barbara, um, <laughs> Arizona State for some reason. Every now and again, things yeah. like that. Um, but uh, yeah, all, all those places. Um, but you know, if you're if you're interested in in equity stuff or you know DBT, like definitely hit me up on the DBT Slack. Um, I love chatting with with users and um, customers alike. Cool, awesome chat. Uh, hopefully, the audience uh, didn't get any questions, which is kind of surprising. Um, but uh, you know, I guess it's how it is. Um, but yeah, hopefully, got the audience found this useful. Oh, hopefully, um, it was engaging. <laughs> I mean, we had a lot of people on the on the LinkedIn, especially. Cool. So I mean, you know, there's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you really want to make your future bright, you should buy the uh, fundamentals of data engineering yes. um, from. Uh, I second Matt, that. I concur. Yeah. So this this book will um, it's 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 almost the same thing as startup equity. It'll 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 change your life. It'll change your fortunes. And if you don't buy it, you might be really poor. Um, you know, you, you, your life might just crumble into ruins. So I would suggest you, you know doing the right thing. Get the book. You might be drinking natty ice. Might be drinking like some really yeah. high class. Yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm actually so... a beer snob. I never drink natty ice. <laughs> Do you have a particular flavor of natty yeah, ice? Yeah, I'm just joking. Yeah. Oh. Do you like or <laughs> never ever? No, it's a uh, it's a remarkably bad uh, drink. I'm not even gonna dare call it a beer. It's just, I've never um, had it. You haven't? No, no. Well, yeah, just just skip it. It's not worth. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> 
that's hilarious. Um, well, yeah, for the audience out there, uh, you know, enjoy Natty Ice on your uh, on your weekend. Um, you know, enjoy the book, enjoy um, uh, Natty Substack. It's actually really good. You should definitely subscribe to it. Um, check it out. He's got some great um, articles on it. I, I I think I read most of them actually, and so um, yeah, they're great. So because I like it, you should like it too. Therefore, uh, go subscribe. Smash the like button. Um, on the Monday morning data chat coming up, we've got uh, Addy Pollock. Um, we can talk about all things uh, big data, data engineering, data lakes, whatever she wants to talk about. She's cool. Um, That's going to be kind of an O'Reilly Authors podcast. Which too, it is, right? yeah. So we want to do more of those, but yeah. It should be yeah, fun. that'd be a lot of fun. Um, and if you're in Utah, Utah Data Engineering Meetup on the uh, 20th, I think. It's on a Wednesday, third Wednesday of the month. Uh, Matt and I are going to be talking about... Um, let me see our book, you know, so you should definitely come check that out. Uh, but anyway, yeah, fun times. Um, cool. And that, uh, have a good weekend. Um, hope to see your, um, next posts. Yeah. Uh, look soon. forward to it. <laughs> so yeah, know when they're coming. Yeah. Keep up the great work. All right. Thanks to the audience. Have a great weekend. See you guys. For the time. Bye.